This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Well, I wanted to uh, kind of stay in the Thanksgiving theme today and... uh, let me uh, bring up my picture here. I wanted to stay in the Thanksgiving theme, and um, let me turn that down a little bit. When I think about this past weekend or the the holiday just how really blessed we are. And it was uh, not long ago that I saw this picture. And it's a picture to me that I'm sure many have seen this before in restaurants or different places. Maybe you have it on your wall at home. I think my grandmother had this picture up. So when you look at that picture, what comes to mind? What are the thoughts that that picture evokes in you? How do you feel when you you see this man praying over a bowl of soup and a loaf of bread with his Bible and his reading glasses there? Pretty simple, pretty simple setting. Probably looks a little different than our recent feast, doesn't it? We were very blessed. I know each and every one of us are very blessed. And I would argue that this man feels very blessed as well. The basic things are there. His faith is seen. The food, the clothing, the shelter he has there. Perhaps somebody who doesn't have much but honors God. Well, what this is, is this a picture? It's kind of dubbed the name Grace. And it was taken in 1918 by a gentleman named Eric Enstrom. And he took it in Minnesota. And he composed it to represent the survival in the face of hardship, especially during World War I. In a 1961 interview with him, he said he aimed to inspire the thankfulness in people, a spirit of religious faith and humility. It's hard not to look at that picture and just feel humble how much we are blessed. That's what I get from that. You know, this was taken in the state of Minnesota back then. And in 2002, the state of Minnesota made that their official photograph, state photograph. I thought that was interesting. So let that uh, be on our our minds this morning as we, we go through what thankfulness is as shared in the Bible
There are more than 200 passages that talk about gratitude and thankfulness in the Bible. And I wanted to take a different track this morning in terms of helping us understand what it is to be thankful to God. I think many of us are familiar with those passages of thankfulness and gratitude. But I wanted to start with sharing kind of a little bit about, first of all, well, what happened when God's people weren't thankful? I'm going to then talk a little bit about what Paul always shared in his letters about thankfulness and who he thanked. And then finally, I'm going to give you some examples of how some honored God, honored God and showed thankfulness. So I first want to set the stage in the book of Romans. Paul writes an introduction to the church in Rome, and he addresses it in verse 7 and says, addresses this group of people and says, those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ and to all those loved by God and called to be saints. He continues in verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul is eager to come to them in Rome and be mutually encouraged in the faith with them. And then in verse 16, Paul reminds them that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, both the Jew and the Greek. And, and in 17, he says, For in it the gospel, which is the righteousness of God, is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of God, you might say, is a divine attribute that describes God as always acting in a consistent way with his own character. So Paul sets this stage to the Romans. And now comes his warning about unthankfulness in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain to us today. Because God has shown it to them. In verse 20, it says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. We see it, I think we marvel today around us. We see around us today how God is there by his creation. He gave us everything to show us who he is. And that's what Paul is telling this group. And then on in 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You know, despite the knowledge of God conveyed to them through this creation, men failed to act on it. 
They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Man was made to be a religious being. And if he's refusing to put God in his right position, which is of preeminence, which is rightfully his, then man will put something else or someone else in that position because God made man to worship. This is like in the days of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar who had an image erected of himself and required all to worship at the sound of an instrument. You remember that story. Man has a habit of doing that when he forgets who is the creator and give thanks to that creator. And then in Romans 1.24, Paul talks to a church that stopped being thankful to God. God was not properly respected. In 125, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They lost their thankfulness to God and they focused on the creation, not the creator. You look around today, is it so different than in Paul's time talking to the Romans? There's a lot of movements today that seem to miss the point. How different is that than here? I don't, I don't know exactly how different, but there seems to be so many similarities. God goes on to say, or he goes on to say in Romans 1.28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. That is a devalued, reduced quality mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. And it goes on and on. If we are thankful, it will show in our actions and in our lifestyle. It's hard to be thankful for anything and treat that same being unkind or ignore them. And when we man are not thankful to our creator, it also shows in the way we live. Romans 8, 1, 18 through 32 gives a detailed description of the downfall of a person or of a society. And what we see in our culture today is very real. That was Paul's letter to Roman, to the Romans warning them. And it's extremely applicable to today. I'm going to give us another example. And this is from Numbers 13, when the Lord spoke to Moses to send out spies in the, to the land of Canaan that God promised to give them to the people of Israel. God made a promise to them. You remember that story when a spy from each of the tribes of Israel, each of the tribes was to be sent out. And only Hoshea, or later Moses called Joshua, the son of Nun from the tribe of Ephraim, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh from the tribe of Judah, 
showed faith in God's promise to give them the land. The report of the land was just as God promised. They came back. They were all like, it is amazing. They brought things back. They stayed over there 40 days, and they brought things back, and it was just like, it was just like God promised. But all but two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, were dreadfully fearful of the inhabitants of the land. No matter, and no matter how Caleb tried to quell their fears, listen, God promised us this. He's giving us this. Oh, they're giants. They're too big. This is too difficult, is what they said. And they convinced all the people. Do we ever grumble or speak out of fear like that? Perhaps you said, oh, God, I know you told me this is in your word. But this is just too hard. That's what Caleb and Joshua are up against. And because of that unthankfulness, what God had done for them to prepare them, to bring them into that land, God said to Moses and Aaron, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? Numbers 14.33, God told them, your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness. They walked around for 40 years due to their lack of thanks to God for giving them the promised land. They didn't believe. Only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. So maybe you felt like Joshua and Caleb a time or two in your past, frustrated that you haven't been able to convince others the truths you know from God. Well, the story would be is press on, do not give up. Just like Caleb and Joshua, continue sharing, even if the people around you are saying, oh no, this is a disaster. They're too big, this is too difficult. Be thankful knowing that this is God shares his promises in your word, in our word that he gives us. Another story from the Old Testament is the actions of King Hezekiah. Now, this is introduced in chapter 29 when he was, at verse 2, he said he was 25 years old and he later reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And I always like this part because when you read the Kings, it's just like, okay, how did he go? And he said, he did right what was in the eyes of the Lord. So it's always like, okay, this is going to be a good chapter, right? You know, I don't know about what you, when you read those, it's like, oh, you know, just kind of went up and down. Well, he did many good things, including cleansing the temple and restoring worship and celebrated the Passover again. In 2 Chronicles 3.20, the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Hezekiah organizes the priests. But then comes along this uh, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and he attempts to invade Judah and overtake Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles 32, 9 through 19, Sennacherib blasphemes the Lord and tries to scare the people of Jerusalem. What we call maybe today a fear monger, somebody who is, ah, you know, the Lord is not with you. There's no such thing. 
call maybe a naysayer, maybe an enemy to your faith. There are many things today. You know, it was in 2 Chronicles 32, uh, 15 through 19. I won't read it all, but, but uh, he said, do not let, he- Sennacherib is saying, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you and do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom has ever been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? So Sennacherib is trying to scare them. He's going to overtake them, but he's playing the mental game with them. If you remember in this story, there were people at the, near the edges of the, of the wall that they would shout out saying, um, you know, that you're going to fail, you're going to die. Hezekiah is going to lead you to death. What are the things in our society today that are constantly trying to tell us something that's not true, that God is not with us, that God can't protect us, that we are senseless in following him? It's not shouting from Sennacherib and the Assyrians. It may be on your phone today or the things you see on TV. The modes may have changed, but it's a similar, it's a similar message. We know that the Lord delivered Hezekiah in the Isaiah the prophet. But King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed about this and cried out to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior, commander, and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So that this man returned in shame to his own land. And when he entered the temple of his God, some of his own children killed him with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many were bringing gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and choice presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. And then at some point after, King Hezekiah became sick to the point of death. So this is a wonderful, let me say this, what a, what a wonderful uh, proof through King Hezekiah's leadership that Sennacherib and the Assyrians were defeated. But not long after, in those days it says, Hezekiah became sick to the point of death and prayed to the Lord and God answered him and gave him a sign. But here is the point. But King Hezekiah... And all the good he did, he stumbled here. He said he did not make a return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Now, as a man speaks, it would be hard not to be proud of these things that Hezekiah did, right? He led his people through safety. When we think about our flesh wanting to take pride in our accomplishments, but God healed him through his prayer, and it says Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him because his heart was proud. And therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But quickly, and how quickly it doesn't say, but it says, but Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both in the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries 
for silver, gold, and precious stones. Hezekiah finished well. With good deeds, honor. Because he showed gratitude to the Lord. You know, Jesus told us in Luke 12, 48, he says, for everyone who has been given much, much will be required. Maybe that was King Hezekiah's situation, given much, but much was required. And when Hezekiah sinned, he failed. Apparently, he was wise enough to say, wait a minute. I need to give God the glory. I need to thank God for these blessings. And God forgave him. That's a good story for us to be reminded of. In the New Testament, Paul, in many of his letters, is very clear in who gets the glory, who is thanked. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Paul says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, he tells us. We're reminded that in the last days, that one characteristic of ingratitude, which Paul points out here, when pride and self-rule become fashionable, the human heart has no one to thank. We become convinced of our own supremacy and consider all we have as a just reward for our own efforts. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells them, we are wise to take heed to Paul's rhetorical question. What do you have that you did not receive? And, what if, if, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? Those were Paul's admonishments for ingratitude. And here he's in 1 Thessalonians 1-2 is where to the church of Thessalonica he goes on to tell them this is why we give thanks to God. He writes on behalf of himself and Timothy, we give thanks to God for all of you and he lists these things that he's so thankful for bearing in mind of your work of faith, he's telling the people there your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope You became imitators of us of the Lord, became examples to all believers. Your faith toward God has gone forth throughout. You turn to God from idols, telling them all these good things, but first and foremost, he tells them, but God gets the glory. He thanks God for these things. In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, He said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting. And he goes on to say, because your faith is great, is greatly enlarged. And the love of each 
one of you toward one another grows even greater. He proudly speaks of their perseverance and faith in the midst of persecutions and afflictions. But Paul gives thanks to God for this. That's someone who believes in prayer. When Paul is praying for them constantly the way he does, these churches, and he writes to them and he recognizes these wonderful things that are happening in these churches, Paul knows where that comes from, and he gives God the thanks for that. You know, sometimes we may do something and, and somebody say, oh, thank you for doing that, right? We know those good things come from God and our abilities and our talents. I think it's okay to say thank you, but I think we know that it's God that we want to give the glory to. Then on Philippians, he says, I give thanks to my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. In Colossians 1.3, he says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Because again, their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints in the church of Colossia. He tells them the gospel is constantly bearing fruit and increasing in you, in your love in the Spirit. He's clearly thanking God in his letters for the work that God is doing in them, thanking God and giving him the proper credit for God's awesomeness. Here's some, a couple examples from the Old Testament, examples of thankfulness. You know, it was in Joshua 4, 6, and 7 that Joshua built an altar as a memorial to God. He said, let this be a sign among you that, so that when your children ask later, what do these stones mean to you? Then you will say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. You see, in Joshua 4.23, it tells us the Lord dried up the Jordan just as he had done to the Red Sea so that they could cross so that all the people of the earth may know the, the hand of the Lord is mighty and so that you may fear the Lord God forever. Joshua was thankful and he honored God through this. Again, in Nehemiah will be my last example They had finished the wall, and Ezra, the priest, brought the book of the law that the Lord had given to Israel before the assembly of the men and the women and all who could listen with understanding. And on the first day of the seventh month, in verse 3, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of all the men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Nehemiah, Ezra, and the people of God, people and the people gave God the glory for restoring their wall around the city. 
You know, in conclusion, we saw what happened to those who did not show God gratitude and honor in Paul's letter to the Romans. We saw numbers where the people of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness due to their lack of trust and thanks to God giving them the land. We saw King Hezekiah, and what he did was right in God's eyes, but still as a man became arrogant and did not give God the proper glory and became immortally ill. But he corrected his ways, and God restored him, and he finished well. And we see how Paul opened his letters to the churches. And he clearly gave God the glory and thanks for all that was happening in these churches. You know, we think about the things we do here. Let us give God the glory for that, for the talents that we have among us, for our ability to reach out and share with others and help others and lift others up. There are many around us that need that help. Let's give God the glory for that. Paul was fully convinced that it was the effect of his prayers to God. Finally, Joshua and Nehemiah saw, we see how God was honored in the crossing at dry ground and the completion of the wall. How does this apply to me and you? What are each of us thankful for? Are we thankful to God for our families, our church family, our friends, our country, our freedoms, our food, our home, our job? Does the way we live and the daily decisions that we make do our conversations with our friends and our family reflect the spirit of eternal gratitude to the Lord? Do we honor God in all these. You know, it's really about that vertical relationship with the Lord and effectively our horizontal relationship with others around us. When we are giving God the glory and thanking the Lord, it'll be reflected in our relationships with others. Let us walk circumspectly. That means let us walk wisely, morally, cautiously. And finally, we are thankful for our Lord to offer us salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. Have you responded to that offer? Will you respond to that offer? You can do that today if you haven't. If you've already, but maybe your heart is pricked that you are not walking circumspectly, you can change that. And if you want the help of your brothers and sisters at this time, I would ask you, we're going to sing this invitation song, so let us stand and do that. Come forward so that you can be encouraged and be helped and loved. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.